Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Lee Cantor here with Stone Payton, another episode of ATDC Radio. And Stone, we are kind of locked and loaded, right? I love doing this show. They, we are so well treated when we come down here to ATDC. There are a lot of great folks down here, some passionate folks doing some marvelous work. Today's going to be no exception. We're going to get a chance to visit with some really bright folks doing some neat things. First up in our initial episode today, please join me in welcoming to the program CEO with Parker Solutions, Mr. Snay Parmore. How are you, man? I'm good, Snow and Lee. Thanks for having me today. I'm a pleasure to be here. All right, Snay, before we get too far into things, tell us about Parker Solutions. How are you serving folks? Yeah, definitely. So uh, Parker Solutions is basically a location-based content platform. So what we do is we saw this a need, basically, as people start taking more and more digital transportation companies around to travel from in a city. So now you see about one out of five people every single day take a uh, ride-sharing service, a scooter, bike, public transit, whatever it may be, and they use your mobile device to get there. So what we do is we send them rewards and offers based on their destination. So wherever they're going, they can feel like they're part of the community and city around them. So then how does it tell where they're going when they get there? Yeah, so uh, it depends. If it's a, a, a ride-sharing service, we send them a the, uh, reward offer when they're in the vehicle because we know their destination. Or if it's a bike share or a scooter, then when you're ending a ride, your location is already being tracked. So we send you the reward based on where you're at. And then how did you come up with the idea? So uh, it's actually a long story, but the short version is uh, me and my co-founders, we were working on a similar platform uh, specific, specifically for the parking space. Um, and we saw this broader ecosystem of transportation and how it's changing. Like, I remember the first thing I did when I turned 16 was go out and get my license. And now, like, people don't even want to drive anymore. Right. <laughs> so so have you noticed that shift that people don't want to own a vehicle anymore? They prefer this kind of ride sharing? Oh, definitely. Um, A few of my friends, uh, he one of my friends, he got in a rack. So his car, he got, like, the um, insurance money and everything. And he was like, you know what? I calculated it. It's actually cheaper for me to take a ride sharing service every day rather than um paying for insurance and have, owning a vehicle. And now, like, also my little cousins, they don't, like, they don't even, like, one of them doesn't even have a license. And, like, I'm like, you should probably have one. And he's like, no, I'm good. How old is he? Uh, he's about 18 now. Wow. Yeah, he's, he's in college, but he's just, like, I don't, I don't, he has, like, a license just to, like, have an ID. But, like, there's no reason for him to drive ever. So now um, this model works in cities that have a lot of scooters and bikes as well as, you know, the ride sharing? Or does it only work in in those areas that you have to have scooters and bikes in order to make this work? Yeah, so uh, we focus specifically on metropolitan areas um, just because there's a large saturation of um, digital transportation services there. And what we do is we partner with these services there. So whenever you're using a service, we know who, uh, who you are and where you're going. So we can always give you the reward that's uh, you're most likely to engage with, no matter what type of method you're using. So now you're so first step is to partner with these different pl- uh, services. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then you have to partner with the retail establishments around them. Yeah, so it's uh, interesting because um, for the retail establishments, we are going out there and creating those brand partnerships ourselves. But there's also these uh, larger platforms out there called demand side platforms that have inventories of all these rewards and offers that these brands are already trying to offer and trying to engage people with. Mm-hmm. So we plug in directly with those guys, so we can actually pull content directly through our platform. And then um, what are those things called? They're called a demand side platforms. They are like basically kind of like ad inventory systems. And then uh, so then you're who pays you? 
So we get paid uh, via the brands and our retail stores. So like whenever we use one of their um, offers or awards and distribute it to our end users, these transportation companies, oh, we get a fee from those guys. And are you up and running, or is this just still a concept? No, so we are up and running. Um, we've uh, our most recent launch was actually at South by Southwest. Okay, so how did that go? Um, it went really well. So we saw a really high engagement rate. Um, we went over the transportation partners that we had partnered with. Um, obviously, they're a lot smaller than Uber and Lyft and uh, the big guys we know. Um, but what we saw that was really uh, fruitful was we saw an extremely high engagement rate of close to like thirty to thirty-one percent, which is ridiculously high for like marketing content. Now, are you seeing that cities are um, – I see uh, different cities are dealing with this in different ways, right? Like some mm-hmm. people love the scooters and the right. bikes. Some people are, you know, yeah. frustrated by the, you know, of course. scooters and trees and, mm-hmm. you know, all that fun stuff. How, what's your kind of take on that? Um, my take in terms of, like, just, like, this new mobi- micro-mobility atmosphere, like, I definitely think it's a need in cities. As you can see, people are using it. Um, I th- also think it's more eco-friendly to take electric scooters or bikes. Um, or even walking around cities, I think the one issue is figuring out how um, these services can be synergistic to cities. Because right now, cities are trying to get this data from their citizens and their people who are using it, just so they know, one, how many of these that they need in a city, um, where to place them, and how people are using them effectively. Because a lot, what we've seen now is like, um, even in Atlanta, uh, there's about 10 cases a night that go to Grady just because of people falling off scooters and injuring themselves. So, like, it's definitely becoming more and more of, like, a health issue that's going to happen um, down the line. So we just need to figure out, like, how to best work together with these transportation companies as, if you're a city. Now, um, and then do you work with the cities to give them data or to help them, or is this something that you just are kind of city adjacent? No, so uh, we were city adjacent in the beginning, but now we are actually learning that uh, cities actually value the data a lot and how we can um, help them learn more about their communities and how people are engaging with it. Because you're playing with all of the devices exactly, than just one of them. Exactly, yeah. So it it provides a lot of, like, detailed info and data to these cities. So um, one of the first cities that we got interested in is the city of Memphis, actually, in Tennessee. They're uh, really interested in partnering with us right now. So, And then when you work with a city... can you get a feel for um, like what parts of town would be the best to, um, you know, incorporate some of these micro mobility? Yeah, uh, definitely. So like um, right now, we basically uh, work with these transportation companies where they're already at. But uh, uh, down the line, we definitely want to create like ecosystems where we see like, oh yeah, if there's like a, a really good intersection here, like for example, like Five Points here in Atlanta would be a great place to have these micro mobility solutions. Because people can just like take a scooter back and forth like half a mile and get to whatever shops right. they want. So yeah. now you, because I would think you're uniquely positioned to be mm. able to be helpful in this because you're capturing data from all of the different players. Exactly. Yeah. And then, oh, the benefit we provide to like for the transportation companies is like one, we give their consumers rewards so people are more likely to use them. And right. then at the same time, uh, for consumers, it's not like we're spamming them with content. It's just like a reward or offer they can actually use within one or two blocks. So, like, a coffee shop, once you park at, like, an intersection, you oh, come get a free coffee on us. So you're more likely to go right. there. Now, is there a way to kind of make it a loyalty? Like, if you do this so many times, mm-hmm. you get something else? Like, Yeah, definitely. Um, we are looking into an opportunity to, like, make it, like, a loyalty program where if you take the same type of service or uh, transportation service, uh, you could get, like, a free ride or, like, a free offer on top of that. What about to make it kind of cross micro mobility like two scooter rides equal an uber yeah no i mean cross mobility is like that's where the market is going so um one of the issues in uh, in the industry right now is like people have like 
three to four apps for different types of transportation or services right. and it, it needs to become multimodal whereas like you have one app that controls all of these different types of services and you already see that happening like uber has lime scooters now um uh, lyft has their own scooters like uh, uber has jump bikes as well so like you see this like uh congregation of like all these different types of services coming into like the bigger players and i think that's so like the multimodal solution is definitely going to happen now are you seeing that um People are using like scooters to me became way more prevalent than bikes did. Yeah, like bikes was the first mover, yep. right? There were bikes everywhere. Yep. And then now, are people even using bikes? Uh, yeah. So I mean, uh, it depends on uh, where you are. But um, so our biggest uh, market right now is New York City, and uh, bikes are extremely heavily used there. Uh, City Bike, which is a company that's owned by Motivate, which recently got bought by Lyft. Um, they like city bike is one of the most popular things in Europe. People and they ride to, on the street or on the sidewalk. Uh, they ride on the streets. Uh, you're legally supposed to ride the scooters and bikes on the streets. Yeah, I but I mean, <laughs> I, I, like personally, I'm probably gonna ride them on the sidewalks. Is like I don't know about Have you driving. seen a scooter. Like what ratio of scooters do you see on the street uh, here com- in Atlanta compared to bikes? Yeah. Um, no. Uh, no, uh, do you see scooters on the street here in Atlanta? No, no. I, I maybe see like out of like every ten scooters I see, maybe like one if that's on uh, the street for a little bit. And that's probably if the sidewalk's blocked off or something. But right. like, no one's gonna ride it on the street. Like that's just like you don't want to get into that whole mess. So that's one of the challenges the cities have to deal with. Yeah, definitely. I think like giving bigger like aspects for like bike lanes, scooter lanes, like especially the future of like how the roads are built. These kind of smart cities are yeah, they have to incorporate this as part of. Oh, of course, one hundred percent. Like, and you're starting to see that with like more and more development and more urban development. Um, people are adding more bike lanes, more infrastructure for that. And like, there's a really interesting concept. It's like, if you give another person another lane, that lane's going to get used up. Like if it's a four lane highway and you built another five lane highway, like that fifth lane is just going to be packed in a a month or two. Like people are just going to use it. So like the same concept applies. If you take away a lane and add a bike lane, people are going to use the bike lanes. And then they'll figure out a way to put those variable tolls on those <laughs> bike lanes and be paying more for the yeah, scooter right. Rider. Yeah, they're like, wait, I'm biking myself <laughs> and I'm still paying. <laughs> right. So what's next for you? You're just looking for more cities to partner with? Yeah, so right now uh, we're partnering with more transportation companies. That's our biggest step. And then um, partnering with more brands right now and uh, just growing our network out. Now, how has ATDC helped? Oh, well, ATDC has been great just because, um, one, the uh, influx of mentors they provide. And um, there's a lot of companies here that are already part of ATDC that we can partner with. Um, there's, a, a ride, there's a service here that does, like, ride sharing for health clinics. So that's one company we're already in discussions with. There's a content company here that provides, like, location data and all that. So it's, it's been a great opportunity to meet, like, the network here, the mentors, um, and a lot of, like, a brand expert, experts. Now, were you deciding amongst different types of incubators to, to go into? Yeah, so uh, we were actually part of a pre-accelerator previous to, uh, to ATDC uh, called Ascend 2020, and that was a program that was led by TechScore Labs, J.P. Morgan, and the Morehouse College of Entrepreneurship. Um, and then through them, we got connected to ATDC, and I had always known about ATDC. I was a, I was a tech student here, um, uh, worked with startups here previously, but... Um, when we got connected to them, uh, we saw the real value that they provide, like the actual mentorship. So uh, we just decided to join. And a lot of our advisors are actually part of ATDC. So we know a lot of the folks here. So it just seemed like a great opportunity. Now, are you looking for more funding or just more kind of case studies and 
more use of your service? Yeah, so uh, a little bit of both. Um, we, are, we are raising our round of funding right now. We, we've already closed half of it, so uh, we're closing out the other half um, pretty soon, hopefully in the next month or so. Um, and then transportation par- companies, we, we're always partnering with those guys and brands. And there, has it been a benefit to be based in Atlanta, even though that your work is all over the country? Um, yeah, I think Atlanta is a good place to have a hub. Um, one, just because like the Metro Chamber has uh, helped out a little bit with us. Um, but uh, like I said, like a majority of our saturation is in New York, so I'm flying out there a lot. Um, but I think like the ecosystem here is good, and especially like being part of ATDC and like uh, just the, having the office here and like it's just being subsidized by the government and all that has been really good. So. And then if somebody wanted to learn more and have more substantive conversation, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, so the best way to get a hold of me is a, you, want, you can email me at uh, snay at parkasolutions.com. Um, it's spelled just how it sounds. and then, Or just uh, shoot me a DM on Instagram. I'm pretty available on there at official snay. And then parkasolutions.com's website. Yes, that is correct. All right. Well, keep up the good work, man. We want to stay uh, connected to this story. Definitely. Thank you, Sam. Yeah. Hey, how about hanging out with us? We're going to visit with one more guest in this episode. Oh, for sure. I can't wait. All right. Next up on ATDC Radio, we have with us CFO and EVP of SAS Products with Trust Stamp, Alex. Alex, how do you pronounce your last name? Uh, Valdez. Valdez. How <laughs> would you like us to pronounce it? Same Valdez. way? Yeah, Valdez is fine. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Please join me in welcoming Alex Valdez. How you been, man? Doing pretty good. So Excited to you... be here. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we're delighted to have you. What did you learn in that last segment? Uh, it was actually very interesting company, very interesting concept. Appreciate it. Ex- excited for you guys. Yeah, definitely. So it sounds like you're growing and closing out that round, which is never an easy thing. <laughs> you know. So halfway there. Yeah. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you, man. Yeah. Well, tell us about Trust Stamp. What are yeah. you up to? I know you've been, I think you've been on before some of your people have been on. Yeah, I think Andrew, our CEO, uh, was on probably about a year ago or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've probably had some, some good updates since then. So, so you got jackets now. I don't remember the jackets <laughs> before. <laughs> yeah, this is actually our, our best, mem- you know, swag, nice. right? Yeah. Post, yeah. Post-funding swag there. And, and believe it or not, it's actually about two and a half years old. So it really? Looks, looking it's durable, good. Looking good. Good for all weather. <laughs> so tell us uh, what you're up to. Yeah, so uh, so uh, just to recap for the company, so Trustamp is an artificial intelligence company, um, and we develop proprietary hash biometric identity solutions. So for the purpose of determining whether an individual is who they say they are and that they can be trusted. So our AI-powered facial biometrics establish proof of uh, proof of liveness, um, and they're also resistant to presentation attacks. Um, if you're familiar with biometrics, you know that it's definitely a crowded space. It's becoming a very crowded space. Um, how we differentiate from other biometrics is we take each live facial image and we convert it into a, a 512-byte biometric hash, um, which is unique to the user's face and cannot be reverse engineered and rebuilt into the user's face. Uh, so in that, it does not constitute personally identifiable information, meaning that it's considered anonymized data under GDPR and similar legislation. So. Uh, definitely a very uh, important feature for a lot of companies globally um, in securing, transmitting, and storing uh, personal information about their customers. And that's the needle you have to thread, right? You have to identify the person. Constantly. And then you have to be anonymous exactly. in doing that. Yep, and be able to uh, store it. And you know, kind of where we take, take it a step further is we have the ability to you know, capture that information, capture the biometric data, um, and convert it into that hash, which is, is a patented um, uh, product or uh, technology that we have, and we call it the Evergreen hash. Um, and Evergreen, what we mean by that is through a patented process using salting, 
um, we're able to add a, up to 128 encrypted data fields into the, the hash, which is a one-way one technology uh, form of securing information. So in each of those hash, in, in each of those encrypted fields, um, we have pivot tables that are pointing back to personal information that are stored behind secure servers. So, uh, and each of those encrypted fields can point back to 26 million variables. So what that means is that over time, we can add and update virtually unlimited inf information about that individual and really create like a full eDNA that can not only be used to authenticate them, but to re-authenticate them across different channels within an organization. Even though things change, the person ages, they change the color of their hair, different yep. things happen, you're still able to identify them. Absolutely. So that's where our AI will come in. So our AI, will, when we capture that, that biometric, and it can really, we're really actually biometric agnostic. We can do, we, you know, we built out our own proprietary facial biometrics, but we, through the evergreen hash, we can accept other forms of biometrics, right? So whether if it's a palm print, fingerprint, iris, et cetera, um, we can store that, those, um, uh, those hashed, uh, uh, measurements right into the one of those encrypted fields inside of the uh, inside of the evergreen hash so we can really uh, create kind of a platform for um, accepting other forms of biometrics and also other information right first name last name transaction data say for example this person is you know uh, they're um, going through the airport right and they're an airline um, passenger so now you know not only can we authenticate their identity uh, say when they go to drop off their baggage at the at the baggage drop now they can, in a sense, just use their face to drop off kind of like in a self-serve fashion, drop off their bag. And, you know, when they scan their biometric, their information will be updated and a note will be added to that evergreen hash. And really they can have a, you know, seamless process all the way through the travel journey. Now, some of the facial recognition was having trouble, Not I'm not saying you're so worried, but some of them were having trouble like with different races and uh, is that an issue for you or you're capturing so much kind of data that it wasn't? It's not as much of an issue. No, it's it's not. Uh, fortunately, you know, we've had relationships with some pretty large government bodies here in the U.S. We've been endorsed by 36 of the AGs, so the attorneys general uh, here in the U.S., and we're also working in Mexico. Um, we've also got customers that are, um, you know, global institutions. So really, the problem there is, you know, the AI is is is, you know, whenever it's kind of got that. Um, you know, bias, right? The, the AI bias is, is the lack of training, right? So it's been trained on one single form or a very similar, you know, demographic, right? So we've had a, a, a huge variety of within our demographics to train our AI. So uh, in that in that sense, it's been, you know, we don't have the, that problem as much. And then you say that it kind of evolves over time. As it gets more data, it becomes a better kind of identifier, right? Correct. Yep. And that's different than a lot of the competitors? Um, yeah, I mean, if they're using AI, it's just it's just a matter of time and training, right, and resources and being able to feed enough data into it to, to train it up. Um, but, you know, I think that where we really differentiate from a lot of the biometric providers is in our hashing technology. Um, and again, and that's just kind of creating a platform so you can add in, you know, additional information about that individual, um, encrypt it, and then hash it. And then that hash can actually be stored in what we call an identity lake. And that identity lake allows, you know, separate organizations, uh, non-affiliated organizations to kind of join a federation um, and participate within the identity lake, right? So um, say, for example, I'm, you know, I'm in a consortia of banks um, and bank one, you know, hashes an, an individual's identity, captures all that PII. They can, you know, uh, collect all that, hash it, uh, submit it to our identity lake, a shared identity lake, and then 
bank B, say they receive that same uh, customer, whenever they verify their identity, uh, let's say that the customer is you know, applying for an account using a different identity than what they use at bank, bank A, uh, now uh, when they capture that information, create the hash, Put, submit it to the identity lake, those hashes will be compared to each other. Our AI will analyze it and see if those, those hashes were generated from the same person. And if they're different identities and it came from the same person, then they'll be flagged and escalated to, uh, uh, to you know, an appropriate process. So really creating uh, an inter- inter-organizational deduplication. But then it's also, it's identifying if it's the same person, is it adding that data so now it has a more robust picture of that person that they go by this name and that name? Uh, so, well, if they're going under uh, different names, then, you know, the, it's it's most likely fraudulent. So that's really what they're what they're trying to well, identify. Well, the reason I'm asking is because we just booked travel for Stone. Stone's name is Stone, <laughs> but it's also Joseph, yeah. right? Yeah, so, so those so, uh-huh. So would your system kind of say okay, Stone and Joseph are the same because these other, you know, 25 things match? Yeah, so it, by looking at the biometric which is the unique identifier for the individual, there's no question, right? There's, you know, you can have say uh, you can have two different names, a, a nickname, uh you can go by, you know, different varia- variations. Um and you can have other identifiers. Imagine, you know, a social security number for example. Um that's only relevant in the United States. Once you leave our our country, it means nothing. So with your biometric, you know, it's got, you know, cross-border application, right? No matter where you go in the world, it's the same. And the, the beauty about, you know, kind of adding and updating information is, say, for example, you know, um, you, you've booked your flight, you know, with an airline, and now you want to rent a car, right, when you get to the airport. So, you know, the airline's not going to capture maybe, you know, certain information that the rental car company will capture. But by them both participating in the identity lake, now they can kind of share that information, achieve, you know, inter-organizational authentication, deduplication, and also provide a more cohesive experience for the traveler. Right. The traveler wins. Exactly. Yep. Now, has, was there a moment or two where you were like, um, hey, we're on to something here? Was there a tipping point that you're like, you know, this is, sounds good, that, and then you – your uh, kind of the market told you, hey, you're onto something here. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the the nature of every startup, right? Like our you know our initial product was actually a consumer safety tool. So we wanted to create a, a, a way for you know people who maybe they're going to Craigslist or Facebook's marketplace, and you know I want to buy uh, your iPhone, and uh, but I don't know who you are, and we're going to go meet in some location, right? So bef- it's a way that before meeting a stranger in person you can verify their identity, right? So we'll prompt them to take a scan of their facial biometric, take a scan of their government-issued ID. We'll, we'll do a match between the images on the ID and the selfie that they just took, verify their identity, right? So we prove that they are who they say they are because criminals normally don't. Right. And then we can also mm-hmm. scrape that information from the ID and do background checks, you know, criminal records, sex offenders list, uh, FBI most wanted, those kind right. of things. Right, so I remember that was the beginning. That was the beginning, yeah. Right. That so was it's come a long way. Uh, multiple pivots <laughs> since then. <laughs> But now it's a way more robust and more – at that time, was there patents and things like that around yeah. the technology? Yeah. Uh, for our initial facial recognition, um, you know, our, our MVP, I don't think we had a specific patent for that. Um, our patents really started coming in, you know, towards um, uh, actually when we moved a little bit more into the enterprise space. Mm-hmm. So we were, were approached by a Fortune 500 bank kind of around the same time that we launched that MVP. Uh, and that was, uh, we were launching for the consumer space, but also for real estate. Um, and then our real MVP came in the enterprise space, you know, uh, working with banks and, and developing a way for, you know, this consumer credit lender to, um, uh, 
to kind of automate the customer onboarding process. So by using facial biometrics, and what they're trying to solve there is, you know, there's the the the, the number of losses, you know, in in the in the tune of hundreds of millions per year um, in synthetic identity fraud, right? So these are criminals who are creating fake identities or using stolen identities to apply for credit card accounts, right? And by using bot programs automation, they can apply for a thousand credit cards in ten minutes, each with a thousand dollar credit limit. Go spend the money, and then you know, in ten minutes, they're gone with a million dollars. That's just a credit write-off problem. So we, that's where we started developing our facial biometrics um, and, and then patenting a lot of those processes, but also, um, you know, starting to integrate our AI as well. So when you made that pivot into more enterprise, um, how did the team handle that? Like, did you have to recruit new people? What changed? You know, we were super, super fortunate. Um, we were getting ready to deliver uh, for our banking client, and uh, we had to kind of pivot a little bit so that way. Well, that's a different person or type of person than the Craigslist yep. person. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, because, you know, Craigslist, maybe I'm willing to go through a little bit more friction. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're talking on the banking level where you've got a customer who's in the store applying for a credit card online, I mean, the friction is paramount, right? Customer experience is everything. Um, so, you know, we had to say, okay, you know, what we're doing is we're el- eliminated tons of friction, right? Because now I don't have to go to the bank and, you know, walk in there, give an ID, show my face, go through the whole process. I can do it all from my armchair. Uh, but still, you know, uh, we had to find a way to make that even more frictionless. Uh, so which that's what really kind of pushed us into developing our AI. So now we can just take a still photo instead of a, a, a micro video, which we prove liveness with. We could take a, a, spill, a still photo and apply the AI. It's anti-spoofing AI, so it'll analyze that photo and determine hundreds of, of characteristics about it uh, to determine whether if it's a spoof, spoofed image or not. Um, and that it, going through that process is what led us to our chief science officer, um, who's in the UK. So he's a PhD, uh, Dr. Norman Poe. And at the time, he was the number two world authority on using machine vision kind of applied for this purpose. And, uh, you know, he was an academic at the time. And he's like, oh, yeah. So, you know, we asked him, hey, you know, we found your. uh, How'd you find him? Funny thing, right? Just go on LinkedIn? Yeah, yeah, right? (laughs) More or less, right? So we were like, we were in a scramble. And we're like, all right, we got to figure this out. And uh, our one of the co-founders, the co-founders and our CTO came across his research paper on GitHub. Um, and I think I'm saying that right. I think it was GitHub. But, um, but anyways, so, uh, you know, we reached out to him. We asked him, hey, you know, we found, found your paper. You know, would you mind if we use it? And it, it was public, right? So we could use it. We, we, we wanted to, you know, be appropriate. And uh, he's like, yeah. He's like, you know, not only will you guys can use it, of course, I'll help you build it. Because, you know, it's just, it's just a, you know, a document of mathematical right. formulas, you know. So mm-hmm. we're like, okay, great. So one thing led to another, and actually, uh, he came on full time as our chief science officer, and he's getting. Well, more he's more. still a professor. No, he's he's since left academia. Wow. And uh, yeah, so he's, he's now, all in now, entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so then, uh, so he's still in uh, the UK. He's in the UK, right? So we've got office here in Atlanta, uh, but we've also uh, we we we've, we've opened offices in 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 London and Warsaw, Poland, and we've got a small. Uh, office out of our plug uh, plug and play accelerator in um, in San Francisco. So now, uh, how has the ATDC helped you guys? Yeah, ATDC has been fantastic. You know, we we've been here for several years now. Are they getting ready to boot you out? Like what? Yeah, you only get a few, you're on a clock, right? Well, yeah, we're, that's why we're just we try to sneak in and out as <laughs> quietly as possible so they don't see us. But no, right. no, we we were a signature company, uh, but we were actually out of the ATV. Uh, for a while. And, you know, we since graduated from that building 
Um, and, but we wanted to keep our, you know, we, we, were, we were expanding, but we wanted to keep an office here in Atlanta, headquarters here in Atlanta. Um, so we decided to stay at ATDC. But, yeah, I mean, the, the mentoring, the, mm-hmm. you know, the opportunities, the, the events, you know, meeting with companies, I mean, it's, it's just it's a tremendous environment for innovation and, and building a company. And then uh, so far, what has been the biggest challenge? Uh, as a company? Right. Yeah, so w- without a doubt, probably the biggest challenge is focus. Um, I would say focus because, you know, especially by the nature of what we do, you know, it, our our solutions solve problems in every industry, in every country, big and small, big, uh, companies big and small. Um, so really it's, a, it's about, you know, focusing on those most immediate and, and largest needs um, and, you know, and kind of, you know, bringing it all together and to, uh, to, you know, not to get into product creep, to feature creep, those kind of things that really burn a lot of time. But, uh, but we've finally been able to really do that. And we focus primarily now in financial services. So now what's an example of the product creep that maybe you were kind of susceptible to at an early stage? Yeah. I mean, I think our, our MVP for the consumer marketplace, um, I mean, this, you know, I don't know if, if it's quite product creep because, you know, at that point, you're just kind of, you know, spaghetti on the wall. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it, if you didn't have that, you wouldn't have had the other thing. I mean, you needed that, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it, it's a process, right? It's that iterative process and, you know, letting, again, I think I think the main takeaway is just letting the customer drive that process, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, we can build out a Cadillac and say, oh, yeah, well, I would want this. So let's add this. Let's add right. that. And before you know it, you've got all the bells and whistles but nobody wants to buy it and they're using three of the features exactly so and then we've really done that we've started to productize a lot of our you know technology because at times you know when we're explaining it it can come it can come off you know complex or intimidating so we've tried to you know simplify that and build some products that are out of you know kind of out of the box solutions so now how do you see the future of this industry evolving yeah, uh, you know, it, it's a constant cat and mouse game, um, you know. Uh, How good are the bad guys? They're good. They're really good. Yeah, I mean, some of the stuff that we have to work on is... is, is are you seeing stuff and you're like, man, why don't we think of that? That was pretty clever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's job security, right? <laughs> <laughs> but this is what the bad guys are doing. This is their job, right? Oh, yeah. And, and the stakes are high, right? So, you know, I mean, and we're, you, know, we're, you know, especially, you know, when, you know, high value transactions... Um, but eventually, you know, they, they talk about, well, wh- what are you guys going to do when, you know, quantum computing and they can, you know, they can break a 512 hash, right? <laughs> and they can reverse engineer. And, we're, you know, we're like, well, at that point, it's like, you know, are they going to use, you know, all this power in quantum computing to, you know, steal, you know, 100 bucks or 200 bucks? <laughs> I mean, who knows, right? I mean, we'll, we'll kind of, we'll solve that problem once we get there. But So is um, that the thing that as they get better from using the technology, they're going for higher, higher stakes? They're, they're leaving kind of the small money on the table? That is that is typically the approach, right? So if we can get rid of 90, 90% or 99% of the criminals out there who are going after those low transactions, you know, easy, easy, you know, social engineering to get into your computer to mm-hmm. steal, you know, some, you know, a small value or whatever, uh, we're doing a great job, right? And that's really, you know, our, even, even our, you know, in the banking industry, right? I mean, if we can, you know, you can't keep good people from doing bad things, right? So you can't say that, oh, we will eliminate fraud. Right. Because even if they've never committed any kind of fraud or done anything, they can Mm -hmm. still, you know, you know, commit, you know, run off with your credit card or not pay you back or whatever. But if we can get if we can, you know, target and eliminate those repeat offenders, right, those people who apply for 10,000 credit cards using one face, using their single biometric, then then we're doing our job. And then uh, for you, what do you need more of right now? Uh, What do we need more of? Oh, man, that's a good question. 
Um, we need more. We need more people. <laughs> <laughs> more talent, because engineers and yeah, and we're we're doing that. Yeah, we're we're growing right now. So we're growing our our uh, we're our sales force, our marketing team. We're growing our engineers. We've got a, a fantastic team of AI engineers in in Poland, um, and our CTOs here out of Atlanta, Georgia, our science officer. We just brought on a. Um, I don't want to get his, his title incorrect, but I believe it's the, the director of science. Um, he. Um, he will be su- uh, supporting our, our research and development efforts in the UK. So we actually just onboarded him today. Now, how do, how do you deal with having the talent, you know, attracting the talent in other countries and being based here? Yeah, you know, there's there's pros and cons. I mean, there's time zone pros and cons. But I think the most important thing is that they have to, everybody has to believe in the mission. You know, everybody has to be on one team. Um, you know, they have to really feel like they're a part of the organization and not just, you know, like an, an you know, an outsourced, you know, freelancer. Um, and that's something that we've, we've invested a lot into. And I think it's had a really good impact. Now, uh, if you had advice to someone to build that kind of culture, especially with uh, remote employees, how would you, any advice for people trying to do that? Oh, without a doubt, communication. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you hear it all the time, right? Whether it's marriage, family, you know, where I mean, this is business, right? It, this yeah. is a marriage, so it's you know, communicate, communicate, communicate. You know, open up the Slack channels, full transparency, raising money, you know, tr- problems, hurdles, fears, all those things. Just put it out there, right? And let and give people a, a platform to uh, to ask questions and to communicate back with you. So now, how do you put out? You know, it always sounds good, communicate and transparency. That's when everything's going good. But when bad things are happening, or you're struggling, or there's challenges, how do you kind of, you know, stay disciplined to give that level of authenticity and transparency to the team? Yeah, I think at that point, it's even more important. Um, you know, last thing you, you know, the worst thing you can do is blindside everybody. You know, everyone thinks everything's, you know, things are going fine. And then all of a sudden, oh, hey, you got, by the way, Surprise, in two weeks, right? yeah, two weeks, you know, uh, go find we another. out of money. Yeah, because you never know. I mean, people have, you know, you never know where a great idea is going to come from mm-hmm. or who it's going to come from. Uh, so, you know, open up the floor and, you know, let everybody contribute, um, you know. So I think that's the best way to do it. So now um, you guys are probably very active in this money laundering world right and then is it get is it, is it <laughs> on, on one side not, of it yeah i know but you're trying to help you're not you right, know, obviously right. yep but um is it just getting worse by the day yeah well so whether i know it's job security for you but <laughs> <laughs> you know so whether if it's the actual money launderers or the regulations that are getting worse who knows which is the bigger <laughs> challenge oh probably the regulations <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> no but i mean it's you know it's 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 super important and you know it's great for us because we're well positioned um you know right there you know with anti-money laundering you've got three components right you've got you know verify their identity back uh, check their you know they own watch list sanctions list pep list those kind of things and then you know you want to perform uh, like an address verification right to kind of validate them and to go you know kind of check the boxes um, the tricky thing with AML is that you know the regulations are very broad and they're different across every jurisdiction so you know we're actually we're spinning up a practice right now for uh, an AML consulting uh, because a lot of the customers that we're getting are coming to us and be like, hey, can you actually help us through this process? Because we have no idea how to even interpret this or what applies to us or what countries, you know, because we're, you know, launching a cryptocurrency wallet here in the U.S. I mean, do we have to abide by European uh, AML laws? You know, what's mm-hmm. GDPR, those kind of things. So, uh, again, we're just we're trying to provide that end to end service and, you know, and, and consulting is a part of that. Good stuff. Now, if somebody went to learn more, have more substantive conversation, coordinates. 
Yeah, come to our website. So uh, www.truststamp.ai. That's T-R-U-S-T-S-T-A-M-P and dot A-I. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on ATDC Radio. 